Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to a mult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our Heavenly Father, we gather before you this morning to be reminded once again of what you have done. That you have given us hope. A solid hope, a sure hope, a hope that is anchored in all of redemptive history, a hope that is anchored in our promised future, a hope that is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ, eternal hope. Father, I pray that we would be a people of that hope, that we would reflect that hope to the world around us, that in this very dark time, we would reflect your light. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, how many of you use the snooze feature on your alarm clock? Snooze button pressers? Anyone? We have a few of you here. The thing about the snooze button is it is, uh, it is the thing that you use to, to, to get out of your good intentions, right? Like the night before you set your alarm clock and you say, tomorrow I'm gonna get up early and I'm gonna do this thing. And then the next morning when the alarm clock goes off, you say, nah, not really, not now. And you hit the snooze button because 10 minutes more of sleep is worth it. See, what the snooze button is, is really about is it, it's about saying that sleeping is preferable to waking, right? Sleeping is preferable to waking, that, that your pillow holds something for you that your day does not hold for you. Sleeping is preferable to waking. Now, the reality is, is we don't use the, the snooze button, for those of us who do use it, we don't use a snooze button every day, right? Um, a snooze button is for Monday mornings, not really for Saturday mornings, right? And there are some things, some events in life that you definitely don't need a snooze button for, right? And some days you don't even need an alarm clock for because there's something that's going to happen that day that your head's just going to pop off the pillow and you're ready to engage and you're looking forward to it and you're engaged in it. You're ready to start. There are some days you don't even, you don't even need a snooze button. You don't even need a, an alarm clock. Well, last night, um, Jack, my, my oldest, he, he comes to me and he asks me to help him make a, uh, a countdown chain. And, uh, and for those of you who don't know what a countdown chain is, it's you just take strips of paper and you, you loop them together and you make a chain out of them. And, uh, and, and 
what you do is day by day, you rip off a piece of the chain and the chain gets shorter and shorter and shorter as you get to the day that you're waiting for expectantly, right? A countdown chain is about that, that day that you're really, really looking forward to. The countdown chain, as you can guess, is a Christmas countdown chain. And it counts down to December 25th, right? Um, Jack, he's a heavier sleeper than, than my youngest, Hank. Uh, Hank, I don't think we'll ever need an alarm clock. Hank is our family's alarm clock. Like, uh, Hank just, he, he doesn't like sleep. Like, he wakes up before dawn just ready to engage and start his, his day, right? And that's every day for Hank. But, but on, on Christmas Day for Jack, Jack won't need me to wake him up. He won't need an alarm clock or a snooze button. Sometime in the early darkness hours of the morning, Jack and Hank are both going to just pop up off of their pillow, and they're going to come racing downstairs to see what's underneath the tree. Right? And, and we do that. There are moments in our lives that we, even we as adults still have those kind of days. We may not run down the stairs quite as quickly, but... There are still times where we don't, we don't need an alarm clock. We don't need a snooze button. We're just so looking forward to what's going to happen in, in that moment. And then Christmas reminds us of, of that. You know, some months ago when I was, was thinking about what, uh, what we would go through in, in the month of, of December, um, it was pretty clear to me that what we, what we needed to be reminded of in 2020 is, is Advent. Um, and I know that we come from different um, religious traditions, different backgrounds, and, and some of you, excuse me, may not have grown up in the church. And so, um, for those of you who don't know, Advent literally means coming. Um, and, and traditionally, what you do is, is four Sundays leading up to December 25th, um, you, you talk about the coming of Jesus in two ways. First of all, because of where we are in redemptive history, we, we remind ourselves of the first coming of Jesus when, when the Son of God took on flesh and in the incarnation and came to us as a little baby boy born in Bethlehem. We, we remember the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus, but we also look forward to the second coming of Jesus. And traditionally, um, there's different themes, different attitudes that we take towards that coming. And, and some of those themes are, you know, uh, peace or joy or hope or, or, or things like that. And, and so I, I planned to do an Advent season for, for us to go through. And uh, uh, we had the away game. That was actually technically the first Sunday of Advent. And I was, I was excited that we would still do the away game and still uh, to go and, and engage the world around us. And I look forward to hearing your stories about that. But then, then last Sunday, I was sick. And, uh, and, I, and I couldn't preach. So then, you know, all of a sudden our Advent season went from four weeks to two weeks. And so I've kind of had to decide, like, what is the most important things that we need to be reminded of in, in this season? And I've come down on hope and joy. And so this morning we're going to talk about hope in the light. And next week we're going to talk about joy in, in that light. But, but hope and joy, and, and, and the reason why I come down here is because I think that this is a world that is in desperate need of some hope right now. When you look at the events of 2020, you think that, that about a year ago, there was a virus that was making its way across uh, the, the ocean to us, and, and that virus began to, to, change, um, to change our world in some drastic ways, so that by March, we were, we were shut down, we stopped uh, gathering as churches, we were staying in our homes, and, and COVID-19 really has changed so many things about the way that we live, that, that we'll see the ramifications of this for, for years to come. But see, what COVID-19 has done is it, it has exacerbated and accelerated things that were already there. 
fractures and problems within our culture that were already there. COVID-19 forced these things to boil up through, through the surface. We, we saw the, the intense racism and hatred, things that we have assumed that we've taken care of and we really haven't taken care of, problems we haven't solved, reconciliation we haven't made, and it's come boiling through the surface. So much violence and so much hate seeing spilled out. We've had an election year that is crazy. A month ago, we had an election, and, and it's a kind of election that you would look at, like, at a foreign country. You would look at a country where democracy struggles because of a, of a, a totalitarian dictatorship. And you would think, that's the kind of election that would have there, not here. And even a month later, we don't have a clear winner. We have a bunch of clear losers, and the American people are the clear losers. Because we now live in a country that, regardless of what side you're on, fraud comes into play into our elections. The cornerstone of democracy. This is a dark time, not, even in, not only in our culture, but in our government, but also in the church. COVID has exacerbated and accelerated things that were already there. A couple of months ago, uh, Doug Pollock talked about the statistics that, that, that we saw pre-COVID in the church. That uh, only 20% of Americans say that they are actively participating in a body of Christian believers, that they're actually participating in, in a church. Only 20%. And, and, and that number is trending down towards Canada's numbers, which is like 10%, and Europe's numbers, which is like 2%. We see this decline in church. That was pre-COVID. Do you know what's happened over the last year in church? So there's a study that came out uh, about a month ago. And, and a pool of over 300 churches were, were examined, and, and they ranged in size from 30 up into the... Uh, multiple thousands, mega, mega churches. Here's what they found. That when uh, uh, March hit and the shutdown happened, all of a sudden, guys like me, pastors, began to scramble to figure out how to do a live stream, how to do a broadcast. And, and the joke among pastors was, was all of us, all of a sudden, overnight, became televangelists. And so we put this live stream together. And what we saw in the initial days of it is that the attendance of church goers shot up by 70%. 70%. I mean, people that, that had, hadn't set foot in a church in years were now joining online gatherings. The live stream, 70%. By Easter and by, by May, that's how high it got. After that, there was a sharp decline. In June, churches started opening up again. Do you know that as of, as of right now, 19% of churches in America have not reopened to in-person gatherings. Almost a fifth of the churches in America have not reopened to in-person gatherings. Now, of the churches that have reopened, the attendance of those churches is 36% of what it was pre-COVID. Nearly two-thirds of people have not returned 
to in-person gatherings. Well, they're watching on, on, on the broadcast, right? They're watching the live stream. No. No, that number that was, that was 70%, it's 12% now of pre-gathering. So I want you to take this into consideration. The, the average church that, that they looked at in this poll was about 900 people. So in February of 2020, the church of, of 900 people had 900 people coming to it on a, on a Sunday morning. Right? The, uh, the COVID happens, the shutdown happens, and by Easter, that church has grown to 1,500. And we think that's awesome. But then there was this rapid deceleration so that now that church is bringing in 300 people with maybe 100 people joining them online. More than 50% of that church didn't come back, either in person or online. And the reality is, is that people in America that once got up on Sunday morning and came to church, not only have, have not hit, have they hit the snooze button, they just they haven't woken up at all. Like they're not putting on pants even to walk downstairs and watch a live stream. They have decided that church, it wasn't worth it. That they don't need it. COVID-19 has accelerated something that was already there before. And people have woken up to the idea that they don't need this. This is a dark time in our country, in our culture, in our government, but in the church as well. You know, we're coming off uh, of the Ruth series, and um, we, we talked in Ruth about how Ruth also takes place in a very dark period of time, period of the judges. There was no king, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes, a very self-centered, self-focused, self-driven time, and all sorts of atrocities were happening when you read the book of the judges. But, but in the midst of this really dark time, there's this beautiful story, this beautiful love story in Ruth. And we see these people love one another with such self-sacrificial love and self selflessness. It's just a beautiful, beautiful love story. And, and the trajectory of these three individuals, their lives are changed forever. But not only that, but the, the trajectory of redemptive history are changed. Because the story ends with a little baby boy born, being born in a place called Bethlehem, who becomes the ancestor of a guy named David, the greatest king who would ever rule Israel, right? Ruth is this, is this beautiful story that takes place in a very dark period of, of time. But, but we fast forward, and now we're looking at Isaiah. And Isaiah is another story that takes it place in a really dark period of time. You see, the descendants of David were not good kings like he was. And so you get to the time of Isaiah, and you have an oppressive Israel, uh, uh, Judean, I should say, government that is that, that is controlling and, and suppressing and, and, and holding down the poor and the powerless. It's, a, it's another dark period of time. And, and more than that, the worship. God says that your worship, I can't stand it. I hate your sacrifices because they're full of empty ritual and they mean nothing to me. It's another dark period of time. And I, Isaiah, he, he says in, in chapter 8, he says, um, and they will look to the earth but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah speaks of a time, of, uh, there's no dawn. Like the sun's not coming up. It's such a dark period of time, is what Isaiah says. And yet, in darkness, 
there is a chance to see the bright, the, the, the light of, of brightness more. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, but I know somehow that only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. Thomas Fuller, an English theologian, wrote, it is always darkest before the dawn. That though we're in a dark period of time right now, the light can shine all the brighter. And we have hope. So Isaiah begins chapter 9 by saying, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. A light has shone, and we have experienced it. We have experienced the, the light of Jesus. And because of that, we have hope. We have an unfailing hope. We have a sure hope. We have a solid hope. We have an anchored hope. We have a hope that will not disappoint us. A hope that will just not vanish or disappear. We have a solid hope in Jesus Christ. There's three points that I want to make this morning. First is that our hope is anchored in the past. In what we've already experienced. The second point is our hope is anchored in the future and what God has promised. And thirdly, our hope is anchored in a person, not in a season. Let's talk about the past. If we were to, to look at the landscape of redemptive history going all the way back to the beginning, what we'd see is peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, moments of, 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 of redemption and salvation, and yet valleys of, of darkness and despair, followed by more peaks of, of, of salvific events. Going all the way back to the beginning, and what we see, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and light shines. And into this creation, God places the humanity, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and, and they could see God, and they could walk with God, and they could experience Him face to face, and yet they walked away from Him, and they rejected Him. They turned their backs on Him, and they fell. And, and yet, even in that moment, they could look back and see God's presence. You see the time of, of, of Noah, another really dark period of time in redemptive history. So dark that God poured out this, this judgment on people, and, and Noah's family was the only one that was saved, and yet Noah could look back on a God that was present. The Israelites are languishing in, 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 in slavery and in Egypt, and, and yet even in that moment, they could look back and remember that there was a God of their patriarchs that they called out to. There was someone to ask for help. And in the time of the judges, they, they, they could look back and see that there was a God who brought them through the wilderness. In the time of Isaiah, and Isaiah could look back and he could say, God has shown up to save. Over and over and over again. Look at chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 4. Isaiah says this, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Isaiah is reminding people of how God raised up a guy named Gideon to save them from the Midianites. Once again, we, we have all of these years of history where we stand on, on this side of the first coming of Jesus. And we look back and we see that a child has been born, that a son has been given. We received him and we have him and because of him we have redemption from sin because of him. We, we have years and years of history of God showing up and proving himself again and again and again that he saves. 
We have a hope that's anchored in the past, and yet it's also anchored in the future because of his promises. But see, for us as Christians, waking is preferable to sleeping. Waking is preferable to sleeping. You know, and we look back at that same history, we could see the promises. Adam and Eve, when they fell dead in, in the garden, God showed up and he gave them a promise that the, the seed would come and he would stomp on the head of the serpent. Noah was given the promise in a rainbow. The, the, the people in the Exodus were, were given the promised land. The, the people of the judges were, were, were given a promised king. And Isaiah promises a Messiah. Uh, throughout redemptive history, what we see is, is a God was there, but a God was also there promising them a future and a hope and bringing them out of the dark places. <coughs> and over and over again, the promises of God are revealed throughout Scripture. One of the disciples of Jesus, a man named John, wrote a book kind of like Isaiah called the Book of Revelation. And in that he writes this in chapter 21, 22 through 25. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb, by the way. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And in chapter 22, verse 5, it says this, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. John points us to a promise of, of this light, the Lamb, who's there, who's ruling and reigning. I, Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord will do this. He will make this happen. This, this is the promise. You see, we, we have a hope that's securely anchored in, in, in God's resume and what God's done for us over and over and over again in the past. And yet we have these promises over and over again of what is going to happen. We have a hope, but that hope, it's in a person. It's not in a season. It's in a person. It's not in a, I, I, I want us to see something here. That, that a lot of us, I think, in, in this moment, because of how dark 2020 has been, you are looking to the Christmas season to make it all right to make it better. And you're putting your hope in, in, in some, some good things, but some temporal things. You're putting your hope in, 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 in lights and in trees and in gifts and in songs and in, in movies. And, and you're, you're hoping that these things will, will placate how you feel and the emptiness, and, and you're hoping that they're going to make you feel better about, about the darkness in which you're living in. And the reality is, is in January, that tree is going to come down, and you're going to return to that emptiness. Because hope is not found in a season. Hope is found in the person, the eternal person of Jesus Christ. Hope is found in a person, and a person who can't die. He already did, died. He's alive. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He's interceding on our behalf like there is nothing that can happen to him. He is solid. There is nothing more solid than Jesus Christ. And that is where our hope is. 
Christians have hope. In this very, very dark period of time, there is a light shining in this world, and it's you. If you reflect the light of God, if you demonstrate the hope that you have, if you do what Peter says and have an answer for the hope that you have. Jesus said that we would not know the day or the hour of his return. Right? I want to... I want to put a what if question to you, and it's just for illustrative purposes, okay? What if we'd received divine revelation that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Now, this is for illustrative purposes. I don't want you, like, telling people that I told you to drink some orange juice and hop on a plane with me to Mars or something. Illustrative purposes, what if we received divine revelation that Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Then, just to make the illustration a little bit crazier, what if I had a magical snooze button? And I could put that magical snooze button right here. And if anybody would press the magical snooze button, it would delay Jesus coming back by 50 years. Would you hit that snooze button? Now, I think how you would answer this question probably depends on your age, to some degree. So, for some of you kids who are here, and you're thinking to yourself, if Jesus comes back, then my life ends. Like the, the, the dreams that I had, this abundant full life that I imagine, that that ends if Jesus comes back. Because I, I, I won't get to, I won't get to graduate from high school. I won't, to get, I won't get to drive a car, you know. I won't to get to feel that independence from my, my parents. I won't get to go off to college. I won't get to, to, to meet that guy or meet that girl. I won't get to fall in love. I won't get to walk down that aisle. I won't get to, to have that career, to land that job, to have that, that success and that accomplishment. I won't, I won't get to do all of these things if Jesus comes back. I, I, I won't get to know what it's like to be a parent. And some of you, you're, you're already a parent. And you're thinking, if Jesus were to come back tomorrow, then, then I wouldn't get to see my child grow up. I wouldn't get to see them get that driver's license. I wouldn't get to see them graduate from high school or to marry that person. I, I, I would miss out on that full life that I imagine is going to happen in my future. If Jesus comes back, then life ends. Some of you are thinking, like, I, I long for the day when my kids go bye-bye and I get to be an empty nester and I get to get reacquainted with my spouse and, and, and I, I, maybe I get to have that job that I've always wanted and I get to be my own boss or I, I get to have the financial freedom that I've always longed for and I get to spend it on this or that. I, you know, I, I look forward to retirement and getting that leisure suit and hopping in that RV and heading out of town. If Jesus comes back, my life ends. How many of you would hit the snooze button? But wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, I've come to bring you abundant life? Didn't he, didn't he promise full life? Isn't, isn't that where he said life was found? Well, when we look at the New Testament, especially what the, the writings of John, Jesus is described as three things. He is described as love, as light, and as life. That Jesus is life. 
and that if Jesus comes back tomorrow, your life doesn't end, your life begins. You get to wake up. Because waking is, is preferable to sleeping. See, the reality is, is that you grow in, in spiritual maturity, you will begin to let go of this world and start grasping towards that one. You'll begin to empty your hands of this kingdom and start longing for that one. You'll be able to recognize how dark this is and how bright his is. Would you press that snooze button? See, the reality is pendulums can swing too far in both directions. And some of you this morning, you need to come to grips that there's a better life and, uh, and, and it, it's, it's something that you need to start embracing but I think there are some of you on the opposite side of, of that pendulum that you're maybe too ready for that life that you're ignoring this one because if there was an opposite button that was the, the accelerator and that Jesus doesn't come back tomorrow he comes back right now there are some of you that would trip over one another to press this button and that's good because you have the hope in Jesus. You long for his return. But is your long for his return, is it costing you the ability to be light here and now? Because the reality is, is if, if Jesus tarries, if Jesus doesn't come back today, if he doesn't come back tomorrow, if he doesn't come back this Christmas season or in the next 50 years, the reason behind that is because Jesus is giving people the gift of time. He is long-suffering and he is patient because he desires that they would know him. See, we live in this tension between longing for his return and yet longing for people to turn to him. We live in a very dark time. But God has called us to reflect the light of who he is. We can be the bright spot in this darkness. But it requires us to want to wake up. To prefer waking to sleeping. The pillow might be soft and comfortable, but there is a dawn ahead of unimaginable wonder. We have hope. It's anchored in the past, it's promised in the future, and it resides in the person of Jesus Christ, an eternal person, not a season. Do we want to wake up? Do we want to embrace the dawn? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father. Help us to live out of that tension. To long for your return and yet long to see people find hope in you. God, I pray that you would help us to stop lamenting the darkness that we live in and start being the light you've called us to be. That we would stop contributing to the darkness and start 
portraying the light. That we would reflect accurately who you are to the world around us. Help us to shine brighter because of the darkness. Take away our fear of the unknown and help us to trust. Trust that the life that we have planned will pale in comparison to the life that you have for us. I pray that we be a church that would reflect who you are. In the name of Jesus.